Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast. Georgie here, Director of Learning and Development, and we're returning to focus on the early career teacher discussions. I'm joined today by Helen Morgan, a previous head of school, and Andy Bridge, current deputy principal. This is the eighth in our latest series of brand new podcasts aimed at early career teachers and their mentors. In our last podcast, we explored adaptive teaching, and this podcast explores what assessment looks like when it's done well. Both formative and summative assessments are important aspects of a teacher's work. However, if not carefully managed, it can take away from learning as opposed to contributing to it. Marking and feedback can become a burden and often destroy work-life balance for teachers. This podcast explores what strong practices look like for formative and summative assessment and how marking and feedback can be completed to a high standard in a manageable way. So I'm going to start by asking Andy. Good morning, Andy. What are the key things that early career teachers need to know about assessment? Hi, Georgie. Yeah, of course. So I think in terms of ECTs, um, there's so much that we could focus on and know about assessment. So I've just picked a few um, strands, really. And I think assessment is just so important because it's the thing that informs our teaching and allows us to be adaptive and responsive. Um, and one of the biggest uses for me is helping us avoid being influenced by misleading factors. So, for example, we might be misled into thinking because our classroom's quiet that everybody's learning or because everybody looks busy and they're doing lots of writing that they're all learning lots. And it's easy to fall into that trap of um, looking at poor proxies for learning, whereas actually good quality assessment helps us, um, you know, quite objectively to to be able to measure have the students understood the thing that I've been teaching them. So I think that's really crucial. Um, but in terms of what an ECT should know about it, I guess before you start any kind of assessment, it's deciding um, on the purpose of it. Is it summative? Is it formative? Um, I guess regardless of whether it's summative or formative, you need to have a think about how you're going to use that information as a teacher, but also how the student's going to respond um, to, to the feedback that you give them, whether that's verbal or written or a score. Um, the students need to know how they're going to use that to move their own learning forwards. Excellent. I think that's a really good introduction, actually, about the key things. So, Helen, great to have you here again with us today. What aspects of assessment have the most impact? Hi, Georgie. It's great to be here. Um, I think just picking up on kind of what Andy said, when we look at the research about assessment, um, then one of the key things that has really positive impact is feedback um, but I think it's really interesting with feedback because it's only positive when it's done really really well so feedback done badly can actually have a negative impact on students learning but when we think about feedback um, you know if I think back to when I was at school um, pretty much most of the feedback that I got was written feedback and now I think there's a much stronger understanding that verbal feedback can be just as valuable, if not more valuable and timely for students. But I think whether the feedback is, is written or verbal, 
Um, it needs to be accurate. That's the first thing. Um, it needs to be clear so that the student can understand it. Um, it needs to be quite specific. So the teacher needs to be very clear about what it is that they want the student to improve. And I think alongside that, it should really encourage further effort from students. You know, we want them to be motivated by the feedback from the teacher to want to make their work better. So in terms of the guidance that the teacher provides, it needs to be guidance that's very positive about what the student needs to do to improve or perhaps guidance on where the misconception was and how the student can address that misconception. I think, you know, the, the perhaps the last thing to say in relation to this as well is about feedback can really help students to become more independent in their learning. So in terms of metacognition, it can help them to self-regulate um, their own learning, become knowledgeable about themselves as learners and really take control um, of their their own destiny with regard to that. And I think that's so key, isn't it, actually, giving the, the students the skills, the learners the skills to be able to sort of self-manage and self-regulate themselves. Um, you know, that more and more research is indicating that that actually really helps people be successful um, in their future careers as well. So, Andy, what aspects of assessment might an early career teacher need help with? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd go back and pick up what Helen was just talking about um, in terms of feedback rather than marking. And I think there's sometimes that assumption that if you're going to do some kind of assessment that you then need to take home a stack of books and sit for hours on end um, covering it in red pen. And actually, as Helen said, this is about feedback, not marking. So um, finding ways basically to make assessment manageable. So whether that is using verbal feedback, um, whether it's coming up with some kind of codes like SP or GR for spelling and grammar that's just going to save you um, some time as you're writing comments in books, whether it's making good use of peer and self-assessment rather than constantly doing teacher assessment. Um, and if you are going to do some written marking, being very kind of efficient with your time and prioritising what it is that you're going to look at, not marking every single page in a book, um, but also in terms of the the comments that you make, really focusing on misconceptions and errors that are, are kind of fundamental to the learning rather than careless mistakes that students have made. Yeah, uh, I think things have really changed, haven't they, with people's approach to assessment. So maybe 10 years ago, you'd see kind of lots of comments in Ofsted reports about marking being inconsistent or there not being enough marking. Yeah in books and I think you know I, th I think back to when you know I, I was teaching a full timetable for English um, and by book five or six um, I generally knew where students were either going right or going wrong and the most important thing for me to do at that point was to make sure that we celebrated and praised where they were getting it right but actually that we addressed where the misconceptions or those common errors were and I'd still have another 25 books to mark after I'd done those five whereas now I think that the, the general gist of it is particularly with things like um 
you know, whole class feedback is you look through the whole set of books pretty quickly. That might only take you 20 minutes, half an hour. And then you give a feedback session to the whole class. Okay. Class look at their own work. Yeah. Or the teacher might give some guidance. And then they work on making those improvements. And I th- for me, that's so powerful because the assessment really begins to inform the teaching rather than assessment just being a task. Yeah, it's it, teacher to do. Yeah, it, it becomes now sort of building blocks, isn't it, to sort of move people forward. And, and and that concept you mentioned, Andy, about using codes. Do you are you sort of referencing that? Um, students are aware of what those codes mean so when they read them in the book they know that oh that means I've got to go back and check my my spelling and grammar is that is that the kind of strategies yeah, yeah if some kind of shared language with your students that might save you some time um, either codes like like that like you said SP or GR or it could be you know as Helen said usually if you've marked five books it's clear to you which are the things students are struggling with um, so you might just write in someone's book target one target two t3 um, and then display on your board what the written targets are rather than writing out those same comments um in, over and over and over in 30 books so i think anything um to do with making marking and feedback manageable is important for an ect um to get help with and the other thing i would say would be about um making assessment accurate um, <laughs> and it's almost pointless spending a long time analyzing data or you know putting data into a system if, if the data isn't accurate. So um, mm. top tips, I guess, for that would just be kind of recognising the expertise of your colleagues, your mentor, um, you know, the, the expertise in your department and work with them and learn from um, their experience, particularly if you teach. Um, Helen and I are both English teachers. Um, and sometimes you look at the mark schemes and the exam rubrics and, and the wording can be so vague and it's really difficult to decide to somebody um, analyzed language or have they perceptively analyzed language that that distinction's really yeah. is a response is a response sophisticated <laughs> and that can be really hard to unpack as an ect Definitely. yeah 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 and that only comes with experience isn't it or or um, bouncing your ideas or thoughts off your mentor as you said or, or your colleague so um yeah it's great to hear that they're actually the marking scheme and, and the marking uh process isn't so onerous as it used to be there used to be so much you know emphasis on that so that feels like that's more real world nowadays so do you have sort of one top tip Helen if you could choose one to share with early career teachers yeah I've got I suppose my key one and I wish someone had had helped me with this when I was an early career teacher was to make a plan for when I would do particular assessments so that when I actually came to do it, I hadn't planned them so that they were all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up feeling really overwhelmed. Um, because I think if you plan when you do them, then you make time for it. And, you know, you can make the right amount of time for it. And I'm not saying hours and hours and hours, but I think having a plan for when the assessments are coming, knowing when you're going to do that assessment, how it's then going to feed into your teaching. So actually, it's it's timely. It's not two weeks after the students have done the assessment. So, you know, it, it, it's gone and it feels like something that's in the past. I think for me, um, you know, working with your mentor 
to come up with a plan can be really helpful and asking other people in your department how they manage that mm-hmm. uh, with the manageability this is a second one um you know the other thing again that's getting a lot of traction at the minute is live feedback okay um and what i mean by that is teachers actually kind of you know giving students live feedback during the lesson again there's a temptation to think that needs to be written but again it's more timely it's faster when it's verbal and I think for students you know it's much more um, meaningful for them when the teacher talks to them about their work so it's about making the most of the time that you have in the lesson because that's when most of the learning happens so if we can do the feedback at that point then actually it's going to have an even bigger impact I don't know what Andy thinks about that absolutely I think you get those 60 minutes in the classroom um to support learning if there's any anything you can do within that time to kind of make that progress faster then you know you'd absolutely take that opportunity and if that's wandering around the room and having individual conversations with students as you see them working and you see the errors that they're making why would you not do that rather than stand at the front and keep your distance we've talked about it in my school a lot recently because um we've noticed some passivity with some students um and we reflected on our teaching and thought actually maybe this is a bit of a hangover from covid that teachers we teaching in that kind of taped off box at the front of their room um, and we've, we've kind of got into that habit now whereas we're making a much more conscious effort to get out into the classroom amongst the students and see what it is that um what they're writing and uh, hopefully support them with the learning i think i think for ects like that's such a good tip to kind of work on and i think even getting your mentor to come in and just watch your movement in the classroom can be really helpful because it is really tempting particularly kind of with the onset of powerpoint um teaching you know it didn't exist when i first started but i think there's a temptation to get trapped near the button at the front and to work through the slides when actually if you're moving around and looking at work and you know just spotting things and having quick conversations with students it's often the power of that conversation that moves the learning on it and it's the point at which a student might ask you a question that they might not ask in front of the rest of the class as well. So it can work two ways in, in that respect. You know, again, you get the bridge of assessment starting to work really well for young people. Brilliant. So, Andy, what would your sort of key takeaway be from this conversation? Uh, I, I guess to summarise really briefly is that assessment is incredibly powerful but it's only powerful if we do it in a way where the workload is manageable because if not we know it'll lead to people feeling like they're drowning and it's unsustainable and then we've got the um the retention issue so try and enjoy assessment it's it's kind of it really should be the nice bit where you see if the students have understood what you've um what you've tried to teach them and if if you can find ways to make it manageable and make it enjoyable then then you're kind of onto a winner yeah, I, th- I think that's brilliant is uh, shifting that concept and that mindset that actually it's a pleasure to be able to sit and look at how your students are progressing. So um, let's hope we can get our early career teachers that are listening to, to this today to a stage that they can move on. And we're going to be doing a number of different um, courses also 
um, to help support you, particularly for an early career teacher around sort of different um, strategies for marking. Um, so look out for those when they come up. So thank you very much to both our guests again today. It's been great to have you both here. It's always a pleasure to catch up and, and hear your insights. In our next podcast, we will be unpacking and discussing behaviour and how early career teachers can manage this really well. We've again got a number of different courses and um, information, particularly that have been provided by our guests around uh, these sort of areas. So it'll be good to actually unpack these and discuss these in more detail. Our After the Bell podcasts are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things education. They're designed for early career teachers, teaching assistants, teachers and also middle leaders. So look out for our next updates soon. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.